30. My worst nightmare comes true, right? It is backed up into the aisles. There are three checkers. It's all about six people deep. And I'm sitting there. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I'm sitting there going, all right, which line's going to go the fastest, right? Which cart has the least amount of groceries in it? Who looks like they're going to pay with check? Who's going to pay with cash? Who's going to pay for credit card? And I start to gauge, all right, which line's going to go the fastest? So I choose a line, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm watching the lady check out. It's not in Green Bay, don't worry. It was over in Eau Claire. And she's checking out the items, and she's just going so slow, right? Like taking all day, and you can tell she's tired. She's probably had a long, hard day. And I am not sympathetic at all. I'm like, I need to report this lady to the manager. Like, she's just going too slow, right? And so now I'm checking out the other checkers and thinking, is it, would it be worth it for me to change lines, you know, because that checker is going faster? And then, and then I'm gauging who got in line at the same time I did to see if I will beat them through the line. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that does this. But I'm a very impatient person when it comes to standing in lines. And so finally I get up to the front and I put all my Gatorades down, all three of them. And the manager walks up and says, I can help who's next on line three. And I'm like, you should have been here 15 minutes ago. I'm a very impatient person. And yet throughout scripture, what we see is one of the, 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 the most, um, how would you say it? The most, uh, four, let me see. Let me get my words right. The biggest indications of your faith is patience. We are continually called to wait on God through very difficult times in life, aren't we? We're called to wait on God to come through when life is hard. And that's what we're going to look at today with this passage in Genesis chapter 16. If you would open up to Genesis chapter 16, just to set the stage for you, I believe it's page 10 or 11 if you're in the Red Bible. In Genesis chapter 16, we are... We're going through the book of Genesis, and we're going through the life of Abram right now because uh, he's right here in this chapter. And God comes to Abram when he's in Ur. And, and, and the first thing we learn about Abram is that his wife is barren, that she can have no children. And this is a major issue for them. And so God, and he makes this promise to Abram and to his wife that he will make them into a great nation, that they will have a lot of children. And then he comes later in Genesis 13 and he says, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. You have as many offspring as there is pieces of sand on the beach. And then in Genesis 15, he said, he brings Abram outside and he says, look toward heaven and the number of stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and it counted to him as righteousness. And God again says, look, count all the stars. Your descendants will be more numerous than this. But now, it's been ten years. That's a long time. It's been ten years since God first made this promise to Abram and his wife. That they would have children. That they would have offspring. And it's hard to wait, isn't it? It's hard to wait on God through very difficult times. And so Sarai and Abram grow impatient. And that's what we're going to read today. Genesis chapter 16, verse 1 through 16. If you would, read along with me. Keep your Bibles open after we're done reading because we'll continue to work through the text. Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. 
She had a female Egyptian slave whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly have I truly here. I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It means between it lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son who Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Let's pray. God, as we enter into this new year, Lord, we are delighted to open up your word. It is a light onto our path, God. It nourishes our soul, Lord. It is so good and refreshing to our souls, Lord. God, may we see the good news of your grace in this passage this morning, in Christ's name, amen. As you first read this passage, you may wonder, what? <laughs> what in the world does this passage have to do with me? This Jerry Springer-esque episode of Genesis chapter 16, what in the world does this have to do with me? And I'll confess to you, when I first read it, I'm like, how in the world am I going to preach anything out of this? And yet, I think as we look deeper, we will see the characters in this passage. We will be able to connect to them, and then we'll see the grace of God towards people like them and like us. And so let's start by looking at Sarai. And we're going to look at Sarai's bitterness. We had already explained that Sarai had been barren for her whole life. Uh, God had made a promise ten years earlier that she was going to have a child. And Sarai... Got her hopes up. She got her dreams up. 
I'm going to have a kid. I, I, I can't imagine her keeping this to herself. I'm guessing that she would tell her friends, guess what? I know I've been barren, but the Lord said, I'm going to have a kid. Isn't that exciting? And then year after year after year goes by and no child. And she grows angry and bitter. I can imagine in her heart saying, how could you, God? You got my hopes so high. You got my dreams so high. And you have let me down. It probably seemed like a cruel trick to her. Maybe, maybe that's how you feel in your life, that God has played a cruel trick on you, that life is hard and difficult, and He hasn't provided the peace and the harmony that you had wished for. Well, in her impatience and bitterness, we see that she decides that she's going to start playing God, right? So she knows the ends that God wants for her to have a child, and she's going to start dictating the means by her own sinful inclination. She's saying, God, you cannot do this, so I'm going to have to do it on your part. You are a JV God, and I'm a varsity person, so I'm taking over. In verse 1, we find out that she has a servant named Hagar, who's from Egypt, and then in verse 2, read along with me. It says, Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. She starts justifying what she's about to do by blaming God. God has kept me from bearing children. It is God's fault that I am sad. It is God's fault that I am hurt. It is God's fault that I am wounded. And so she makes a plan. She says to Abram, Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. You know, as we look at this passage, questions come up. In the Old Testament, polygamy was something that was quite rampant at the time. And some people will say, God never says polygamy is bad, right? Polygamy, by the way, just to make sure we're on the same page, it's when you have multiple wives, okay? And it's true that, that God never directly says polygamy is bad, but you see throughout Scripture that it is, <laughs> In the very beginning, when God creates a man and woman, marriage is between one woman and one man, and they become one flesh. Throughout the Old Testament, whenever there's adultery or polygamy, which is the same thing in my book, it is always a horrific mess. And we'll see that here in today's passage. But even as you look forward to the New Testament, when it talks about the qualifications for an elder, Everything that a man should aspire to, it says that he should be a one-woman man. And so God says throughout the Scripture, He shows us that marriage is between one woman and one man. And when you add to it, it is absolutely tragic. And that's what we're going to see here in this passage. Verse 4. When Hagar saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress, which is Sarai. Literally, Hagar despised Sarai. Now, now, why would she despise her? Why would Hagar, this servant who has conceived, despise Sarai? Well, wives, let me ask you this. If you had to share a husband with some other woman, would you despise that woman? I'd, I hope you would. Because you want the affection of that one man. You know that God had created you to be with one husband. If your husband left you for another woman, would you despise that woman? I hope you would. Hopefully you can forgive her and move forward. But she despises her because she has to share a husband, but also because she has to give up her child. Hagar knows what's going on here. There's actually customs of this time. There's marriage vows that have been recovered in which the woman makes this vow at marriage that if she does not bear a child within two years, she will provide a servant to bear children for her. And so this was something that was normal in the culture. 
at that time. And so Hagar was very familiar with what was going on, but it led to this absolute chaos. And so you, here you have it. Sarai instigates this thing. She goes to Abram and says, sleep with my servant. She actually then goes, gets the servant, and brings it to Abram just to make sure the deed is done. And then everything goes haywire, right? And, and she has this rough relationship with Hagar. Surprise, surprise. And whose fault is it? Let's read on. Verse 5, Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. Right? It's the man's fault. Even though she instigated it all, it's her husband's fault. You see this. She blames God. She blames her husband. It's everyone's fault but hers. Right? You can see the bitterness coming out of her heart. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with content. And then she gets all religious. May the Lord judge between you and me. And so Sarai just goes around blaming everyone for how difficult her life is. Bitterness is toxic, isn't it? I I think we struggle to be around bitter people. You may not know this, but one of my greatest fears in life is bitter women. Rats and bitter women are like my two biggest fears in life, all right? I hate rats and I hate bitter women. I try to love them, but it's hard for me, okay? A couple years ago, I've been in youth ministry for a few years, and uh, if you've been in youth ministry, you might be able to relate to this. There, there are many moms uh, who love their kids very much, but can also grow kind of bitter. Uh, there's one mom who sent me an email, and by the way, uh, never handle conflict over email, all right? I learned this the hard way. Don't do it. And this is the wrong way to do it. So she sends me an email and says, yeah, my daughter, she's in junior high, but she's very mature for her age. I think she should be part of the senior high ministry, not part of the junior high ministry. So I emailed her back and I said, you know, I'm so glad that your daughter's mature. That, that's wonderful. You know, but we can't make an exception for your daughter because, you know, lots of moms think their daughters are mature and would like them to move up as well. And, you know, if your daughter's there, she'd be a great mentor for those junior high girls. So I thought, boy, Case Coles, that's, that's good. Well, she emailed me back, just kind of lambasting me, blaming me for all the trouble in her family because we had a youth group going on, right? Now, I never told her to send her kids to youth group. I never even encouraged it. But I was in trouble because her family was falling apart. And I said, you know, just because I have your kid for an hour and a half a week, tells them about Jesus, doesn't make your family fall apart. Maybe there's no leadership in your home, right? Which was not a good way to reply in an email. And so it descended and it got worse. And finally there was repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation. She was gracious to me. But you can see how bitterness twists you. You start blaming everyone for the problems in your life. It's not your fault. It's God's fault. It's the pastor's fault. It's your husband's fault. It's your wife's fault. And then you say, you know what? This justifies me to take ungodly means to make everything right. And this is what Sarai was doing here. And what we see as the solution to bitterness is really found the chapter before in Genesis chapter 15. When Abram is saying, God, where is my descendants? And God says, trust me, Abram. I will bring them. And he said, Abram believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. See, the solution to bitterness is trusting that God is in control of all things. Of having faith, of waiting upon the Lord, knowing that his timing, his way, his ends are perfect, true, and good. And so we can see ourselves in Sarai's bitterness. And just in case you thought I was hard on the women, here comes the men's part. We see Abram's cowardice. Abram's faith journey is a lot like ours. It had a lot of ups and downs. 
uh, God called Abram out of Ur, and uh, he followed him to Haran. And so there was this great up, you know, in the spiritual journey, he followed God, but then he got stuck in Haran, which was a down. And then the Lord called him again, and he followed him to the land of Israel, which was an up. But then there was a drought, and Abram fled into Egypt, prostituted his wife to Pharaoh, made a lot of money, which is a down, and then came back up to Israel to worship God, which is an up. And so there's ups and downs, ups and downs in this hero of our faith's life. And then right before this chapter, in chapter 15, is probably the the climax of Abram's faith. When it says that he believed the Lord and was credited to him as righteousness. But now we see Abram bottoming out as he approaches his wife and his family cowardly. It says in verse 2 that Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Literally, Abram hearkened the voice of Sarai. It's supposed to remind us that instead of listening to the Lord God, Abram was listening to his wife and to the culture that was around him. Listen to her plea to do something that was sinful and wrong, to accomplish a promise that God had given. You know, it's amazing because just a few chapters earlier, if you've been around, we saw that Abram stood up to this undefeated army that wiped out the whole eastern side of the Jordan River. They wiped it out. They took his nephew Lot. They headed north. They were undefeated. They were amazing. And Abram gathered a few troops and he led them into military victory. And so he could lead these people into victory, but he can't lead his family. He doesn't lead his wife. He lets her continue in sin. And then we see he caves again in verse 6. When Sarai comes and complains that Hagar is despising her, Abram says, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you plead, please. And so Abram doesn't try to help solve the problem. He doesn't try to lead his family well. Instead, he says, Just go do whatever you want. I'm stepping out of this role. You can go. You can take care of it. Just leave me alone. You know, in our culture, one of the biggest problems is male passivity in the home. Husbands and fathers that are not spiritually active in the life of their family. And before you get defensive and before you start saying, no, I, I do well, I'm involved in my kid's life, I'm involved in my wife's life. This doesn't simply just mean playing with them, which is good. This doesn't mean spending just spending time with them, which is great. But it means being a spiritual leader of the family. You know, I think one of the reasons why this is so hard it's because Sarai knew Abram's sin, right? Just a few chapters earlier, Abram had sold his wife to Pharaoh, prostituted her out, and now Sarai suggesting, hey, how about I prostitute Abram out to get a child? And so Abram's like, you know, she knows my sin, she knows my weakness, and he's ashamed, and he doesn't stand up and say, no, this is what the Lord would want of us. And so he lets the shame dominate his decision and leading his wife and his family well. You know, Abram should have come along his wife and said, Listen, Sarai, I know it is hard to wait. I know it because it's hard for me to wait. But we need to trust in the Lord God. But that's not what he said. He said, Okay, let's do it. You know, I believe that the hardest place in the whole world to be a leader is in your home. It is easier to lead a Bible study. It is easier to lead a church It is easier to lead men into battle, as Abram did. It's easier to do any of those things than to lead in the home. And yet that is the primary place that God has called men to lead spiritually, to be priests of their family, to pastor their family well, 
to lead them closer to the Lord, to point them to the Lord. And so we see Abram's cowardness, but then we also see Hagar's brokenness. Some commentators think Hagar is just an innocent bystander. You know, someone who's a victim of society. But Hagar knew what she was doing. See, Hagar was a servant, all right? And and I don't think I have to paint this picture much, but a servant didn't have many rights, did they? They they really didn't have much money. uh, They didn't have much freedom. And Hagar is given this opportunity, right? You get to be the rich man, the leader's wife. You get to be the mother of his only child. And so this would have given her a lot of dignity, a lot of hope, a lot of money. And so she took advantage of this opportunity. And then when she was pregnant, it says in verse 4 that Hagar saw that she had conceived and she looked with contempt on her mistress. And so you see this downward spiral of sin, not just of Hagar's sin, but of Sarai's sin and of Abram's sin. And it leads to more and more brokenness and fracture. And it's so bad that a pregnant woman says, I would rather run out into the desert, run to Egypt where no one will probably accept me than to stay here. That's how bad it is. Sin does this. It takes us places we don't want to go. Author Steve Gallagher, and I've probably quoted this to you before, but I think it's such a great quote. It says, sin will take you further than you ever wanted to go, keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay, and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. This is what Hagar was experiencing at this time because of the sin of the community around her and her participation in it. It led to brokenness. It led to fracture. It left her destitute at this well. Maybe you have felt this. Maybe you have felt the consequences of your sin and you feel all alone. Or maybe you literally physically are all alone because of your sin. Maybe you have run away from everyone and everything. And it seems like there is no good news in your life. It seems like there's no good news in Hagar's life. But the good news is that there is one more character to this story. Not just Abram, not just Sarai, not just Hagar, but the Lord is a part of this story. He's the main part of this story. Let's kind of walk through these verses together, starting with verse 6. It says, Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. And then it says, The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. So Hagar's running away, back to Egypt, and the angel of the Lord comes to her. Now, this is, the angel of the Lord appears several times throughout the Old Testament. And it is an interesting figure. It is a debated figure in Scripture. But the angel of the Lord is quite possibly the second person of the Trinity. It is the pre-incarnate Christ. When the angel of the Lord appears, people say that they have seen the Lord. Even here, as we see later down, Hagar will say that she has heard and seen the Lord. He is the messenger of the Lord. The messenger of the Lord. And so here it is. The Lord comes to her, whether it's the second person of the Trinity or not. The Lord comes to her at the well when she is destitute and broken. Very similar to the story of Jacob's well, if you're familiar with that. In John 4. But the Lord comes to her and is compassionate. And notice what it says here in verse 7. It says, the angel of the Lord found her. The angel of the Lord found her. It's not that she was going 
on a spiritual retreat is not that she was looking for the Lord, but the Lord found her. James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary puts it best, and I believe it will be up here. You can read along with me. Do you have it, Christian? Can you put it up? Nope. Is it not there? All right. I will read. Listen closely. Just as God sought out Adam and Eve when they had sinned and were in trouble, so also does he now seek out Hagar. She was not seeking him. She was running away from everyone. But God sought her. We learn in this that God is more interested in us than we can ever be interested either in him or in ourselves. Donald Gray Barnhouse writes of this passage, we see here that God never fails to see what is going on and that he is vitally interested in everything that touches one of his creatures. We may attempt to run away from the things that have happened to us. And listen to this. But two things we can never get away from. We cannot elude ourselves and we cannot get beyond God. I don't, I don't know your story. There's several of you here today, but maybe you have been running. You've been running away from your family. You've been running away from loved ones. You've been running away from accountability. You've been running away from the church. And you can run away from all those things. But there are two people you cannot run away from. You cannot run away from yourself, and you cannot run away from the Lord. And this is such good news. Hagar could not run away from the Lord. I cannot run away from the Lord. He will seek me out, just as he did here. The story goes on. Verse 8 says, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Now, this would have been a, a crazy command. You know where you've been getting beaten up and ridiculed and overworked and hurt? Yeah, go back there, is what the Lord says. Go back to that place. And the reason for it is because he wants to pour out his blessing and abundance on Hagar. Verse 10, the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for a multitude. That's kind of the same promise he gave to Abram and Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Look what it says here. And the NIV doesn't quite capture this. But it says, The Lord has listened to your affliction. He has attentively, intelligently heard your affliction. It's not that God heard of her affliction. Right? God never hears of anything, right? God is always in the room. He heard her affliction firsthand. He saw it. He was there. And so he came to her. God listens to our afflictions firsthand. And so God tells Hagar to name her boy Ishmael, which means God hears. What a beautiful reminder. Ishmael, God hears our suffering, He hears our pain. And he is with us and he pursues us to rescue us. Verse 12, it says, He shall be a wild donkey of a man. What a great phrase. Wild donkey of a man. His hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. As you read his life story, he is constantly in battle. His, his descendants is the Arab nation who is constantly in battle. 
And that's what is being said here. Verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. You know what's really interesting? There is only one place in all of Scripture in which a person names God. Only one place. Many times God names himself, but only one place that a person names God. And if I had told you that without reading this passage, you'd probably think, oh yeah, it was the Apostle Paul, or maybe even Jesus himself, or maybe it was, you know, Stephen or, or Peter, or maybe they gave a name to God. But no, it is this money-grabbing, destitute, pregnant, hurt, defiled woman that gives a name to the Lord. And what is the name that she gives to him? El Roy, the God of the seen. She heightens even what the Lord says. She says, not only do you hear me, Lord, but you see me in my pain and in my affliction. And you are with me. And you love me. This is the gospel according to Hagar. That when she was destitute, when she was broken, when she was fleeing from God and from everything else, the Lord sought her out and said, I hear your pain, I see your pain, and I am with you, and I am going to bless you and pour out my grace upon you. It goes on, verse 15. Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. God hears, the Lord hears. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael. Hagar's sin and greed and hatred got herself into a heap of trouble, right? She was running away, maybe going to die on the road to Egypt, and the Lord comes to her. And when the Lord comes to her, he doesn't say, Come on, Hagar, shape up, you know? Get your act in shape. What are you doing? Get right, come on. No, the Lord loves her. When I was a little kid, some of you may have heard this story before. When I was a little kid, in my front yard there was a sewer lid, okay? A manhole cover. And, and I was told not to play with this manhole cover. And it was this big circle. It was really heavy. And it had these two little semicircles so that you could get a crowbar in there and, and get it open, you know? And so one day, I'm just bored and curious. And so I, I get a stick. And I get the stick under the manhole cover. And I push it down so that it's barely up. And I step on the stick to keep it up. And I get my little fingers under that, that manhole cover, okay? And I, I grab it. And I'm starting to lift, lift, lift. Nothing. And it starts to sink, sink, sink. <laughs> and so my fingers get pinched between that manhole cover and, and the ground. And so now I'm sitting there like this, and I can't go anywhere, and I am just start yelling, Help! 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 Right? And finally my dad hears my cries for help, and he runs out and he sees my affliction, he hears my affliction, and he doesn't say, Danny, you really got yourself into a pickle there. Get yourself out of it, boy. You know you weren't supposed to be doing that. No. He comes to me and he rescues me. This is a picture of a loving heavenly father. I don't know where you've been or what you've done or what jams you've got yourself stuck in, what manhole covers you're caught in. But the Lord comes to you. He pursues you. He's a God of the seen, a God who hears. He has heard our pain, heard our suffering. And that's why he sent Christ to come and take our suffering upon himself, to take the penalty for our sin, pay it in full in the cross. 
That God could pour out His grace and blessing and abundance upon us. You know, as we go into this new year, there is a great reminder in this story. In this year, there will be pain. In this story, there will be suffering. But the Lord is there. The Lord hears your suffering. He hears your pain. He sees it. He is with you. The Lord is there. Let's pray. God, as we...